Hey guys, Alana here with the Praying Christian Women podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm here with Jamie Hampton. We're bringing you part two of what movies can teach us about prayer. So we had so much fun recording the uh, most recent episode that we decided to go ahead and add a part two to this one. So welcome and let's open up today's show with a word of prayer. God, we just thank you um, just again for the way that you speak through all different methods. Um, Your truths come out in so many different avenues, even when they're not intended. And we just pray that you would help us today just to look at things a little bit differently, whether it's movies or um, other secular things that we watch or read or experience and just to be able to see your hand at work and, and the messages that can give us common ground with people that don't know your truth so that we can have conversations with them. Thanks for this, God. We just pray that you would just bless this conversation and this time and be glorified in it. Amen. And our verse of the day is, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God from 1 Corinthians 10.31. And I sort of thought this was appropriate because I'm thinking about these movies and and how we're, you know, enjoying seeing these parallels and, you know, drawing out spiritual truths from them, but they're not necessarily spiritual in and of themselves. And I think I should kind of throw out a disclaimer for us too, that we're not endorsing these movies. We're not saying that we align 100% with any theology or um, anything, or even recommending that you watch them <laughs> because some of them are PG-13 or mm-hmm. I don't know if any of them, if the Matrix is R. We're I think it is, yeah. Matrix, which is rated R. We're not recommending that you see these because everyone is different. But what we're hoping is that you'll be able to, I know that after our first conversation, which aired just a week ago, but was recorded several weeks prior to this, um, that I've been watching movies and reading books and seeing things very differently. And really, it's trained me to see God's truths and spiritual and prayer parallels in in places that I had not seen them before. And I really feel like it empowers us to have these common, like a common ground to talk about things. I know my husband, actually, when he was in high school, they had watched, I think it was like one of the Terminators, maybe it was Terminator Judgment Day. And it was a, a the kid that he went to see it with actually asked him afterwards, like, I know you're a Christian. Um, do you believe in an actual end of the world? And what is that all about? And it started a conversation about faith with this person. So just kind of to keep those things in mind, but also just to let everyone know that we're not endorsing these movies or like, I know one of the movies that I'm going to talk about has spiritual a spiritual character in it that is definitely not someone that lines up with my theology at all. So yeah, just that disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Listener discretion advice. Yeah, I, definitely. I know our family watches some movies that other families would be like, well, how would you let your, you know, kids watch this? And, and the same with us, you know, like our, our kids, I was actually really proud of them. They were at an event where they were watching the, um, Coco was at the Pixar movie about the Day of the Dead and all that. And we had kind of explained to them, you know, we're not going to watch this as a family. We usually watch all the Pixars. This is one we're not going to watch just because of the, you know, all the afterlifey things in it. And and they were fine with that. And, you know, other families I'm sure have watched. I'm like, oh, this is an adorable movie. So, yeah, this is the way we teach our kids is just every family's got different – you know, different standards, different rubrics for what is and isn't appropriate. So you guys can definitely decide um, which of these are worth your time and which aren't. But yeah, I like what you said, Jamie, that sometimes the the point isn't necessarily like what's in these specific movies, but just to be watching for some of these scriptural truths when they come out, even in secular um, secular venues. Yeah. And it's just fun. It is. It's just fun to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, I was re-listening to the episode that we just aired. And like Jamie said, we recorded it early. We were um, 
both kind of busy over the summer. And so we tried to get quite a few episodes lined up ahead of time. And it was so funny because I was listening <laughs> to our part one and I'm talking about like how excited I am about Endgame. And of course, Endgame's, you know, been out for, you know, a month or two by now. We've seen it three times in the theaters. So right. <laughs> it was just kind of funny to be uh, talking about that. So if you haven't seen... Endgame, we are going to be talking about it in this episode. I was I was really paranoid about Endgame spoilers. So if you are too, go go watch it and then come back and listen to our episode. Right. Well, I think the funnier thing about this episode is that we have all of our podcast episodes rec- pre-recorded through the fall, like through mm-hmm. September, mm-hmm. whatever. And and Alana and I were just talking and kind of like, well we haven't recorded in a while. It's just, we enjoy recording. And so we have a recording day scheduled today just because it's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise we're going to go through withdrawals. Right. (laughs) I've been having a ton of fun listening to some of our old episodes. I got this new, um, like podcast player. And so I've been testing it out and listening to our old episodes. And it's been really fun. I just came across the one where I remember recording the episode with you, but then you did your own intro for it because we had just had the big earthquake. And I was listening. I had never heard your intro and I was listening to it. And like my heart was pounding like, wow, we went through, you know, and that was just, well, I guess over half a year ago now, but um, I don't know. It's been really fun to listen to the older episodes. So if you guys haven't gone back to binge listen, um, I don't know. I've had fun doing it. Well, it's just funny to me that we have old episodes. It seems like we just started. Yeah, you know? that we're still brand new. I know. Right. But we have over 50 episodes out now. Which is pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah, it is. All right. So our just for fun question is, what's the first movie you remember seeing as a kid? I assume, are you talking about like in the theater or are you just talking about any movie? I guess in the theater. Yeah. Okay. Um, we used to have these movie nights at our church. And I think it might have even been like, I was born in the 80s, but I, I want to think think that it was some kind of like projector technology even, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, like they would roll in this big thing and it had the reel and everything. But you know how um, the lion roars at the beginning is MGM movies that have the lion. I was oh, always yeah. scared that the lion was going to come out of the movie and attack me. It was really funny. And that's um, even when there was no 3D, right? It wasn't even oh, a 3D. Oh, for sure. 3D. Yeah, this, <laughs> no, this was not 3D or anything. But the first movie I remember seeing in the theater was probably The Land Before for time. Uh, and the reason it was sad, I'm getting into all of my sad childhood stories. So if you listen to part one, you That's heard right. all about how Dumbo like broke my heart because my mom had died. Um, Land Before Time, it was my brother who kind of lost it. If I remember right, we had to leave the theater because... Oh, because he was very sad. Yes. The mom, dinosaur dies. And I think, <sighs> it, you know, it's kind of like one of those Bambi's mom moments, like where kids are like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that characters would die in a kid's movie. Right. Now so, they do all the time, but back yeah. then, I don't think it was <laughs> as expected. Yeah, yeah. So I remember being in the theater watching that, but unfortunately, I think I remember it for not happy, good reasons. So I'm looking and I had to go and check the date. So because I was born in 1976 and the first movie I remember seeing, it was at a drive-in, and it was The Aristocats. But oh. I'm looking, and The Aristocats was, it says 1970. So maybe they were just showing it. Doing a, yeah, I'm sure the, But it was at a drive-in theater, because I remember it was a double feature. So I watched The Aristocats, and then I remember my parents just said, okay, you can go to sleep. So I just oh. laid down, and I went to sleep in the back seat of the car. And they watched whatever movie they were supposed to watch. And That's so, fine. yeah, it was interesting. Um, and the, the first one I remember in the theater, I know it wasn't the first one I saw, and I, I don't know the date of it, but E.T., mm-hmm. I remember that I had a really bad cough, and I had this little canister of Sucret's cough drops. Uh-huh. I remember popping them the whole time. So I And I remember the girl sitting next to me was my cousin's friend. And she had seen E.T. before, and I was just starting to get, okay, spoiler for E.T., if anyone (laughs) (laughs) hasn't seen the end, um, I was getting all teary because E.T. was looking like he was not long for this world, and she said, don't worry, E.T. doesn't die. And I looked over at her and I just remember I was so mad. <laughs> oh. You know, I just, I wanted to revel in my, like, I wanted to see it for myself. So those are my, like, I, 
I don't remember. Maybe I was seven or eight. I don't know. Uh-huh. But yeah, That's those funny. are the two movies that I remember. I remember going to my friend's house and watching The Princess Bride for the first time. I was probably five or six. And the scene before the ROUS comes, she had this thing because she warned me. She's like, this is a really, really scary part. And so what you need to do is get a twisty tie and chew it. Like, so she taught me how to chew on a twisty tie because it was a scary scene. Like that was sort of her coping thing. And so I just sort of assumed that like when you watch a scary movie, you chew on a twisty tie. Do you do that still? I do not. No, it was a habit that did not stick. And I I do not regret that. (laughs) I could see that being bad for your teeth too in the long run. Probably. Probably scratch the enamel. Yeah, I have no idea. But anyway, let's right. jump in to part two of our our movies. So if you missed uh, part one, we were just talking about how different movies, even if it's a secular movie, have some lessons that we can apply to our prayer lives. And so we did talk some about um, some Marvel stuff. I know we brought in Narnia and then after that, well, of course, Endgame came out between the time that we recorded that and today when we're recording this. And I, I definitely want to talk about that. And then I know for both Jamie and me, we've had like, oh, this would be another good movie to introduce. And this would be a good movie to introduce. So do you have one that you kind of want to start with, with a movie that sort of taught you something about prayer? I think my, I want to start with my favorite one. I should probably end with my favorite one, but I feel like we have so much to talk about that I want to make sure this one gets talked about. So this is the one I was talking about with sketchy theology. So it's Contact with Jodie Foster and um, Matthew McConaughey, maybe. And it Matthew McConaughey plays a former pastor, maybe, and, and he's the character whose theology I am not in alignment with and I just didn't want to endorse, but contact in general, the, the one scene that has stuck with me ever since the first time I saw that movie is when Jodie Foster has received instructions from these extraterrestrials, um, how to create this spacecraft that would allow her to visit them somewhere out in another solar system, another galaxy, probably. Um, and, They have it all created, and then they get to the end, and they realize there's nowhere to sit. Or maybe there was no harness. There was no restraint. I think that's what it was. There was no, like, safety harness Mm -hmm. in the pilot seat or the chair. And they thought, well, they must have left it out. There's no way that we have heard this right. And so they add a safety harness in. And so they get started. She fires it up. The thing fires up. She's ready to go. And she's shaking like crazy. She can't even talk. She's vibrating. And the, the chair is just shaking. And um, she, I don't remember. Oh, and then her necklace comes off and starts to float around. And she realizes that this spacecraft, the way that it's been created, also creates zero gravity inside the spacecraft. So then she unbuckles herself and she floats effortlessly through you know, and I think actually the chair like vibrates off. It, maybe it wasn't even supposed to be there. So, you know, the thing that I take away from that is when we hear from God, sometimes we get some of it right and we think, but no, that couldn't be right. You know, the rest right. of it, you know, you got to be wrong, God. Maybe you're not thinking this through. And maybe we add on um, mm-hmm. extra safety measures or cushions or, you know, safety nets to try and make sure that God's got his bases covered, but sometimes those safety nets or the things that we add on could actually hinder the work that God is trying to do. Mm-hmm. That makes like, a ton of sense. You know, she was shaking like crazy because she was never intended to be strapped in because she was going to be cushioned by this zero gravity and totally fine floating around. So yeah. That's interesting. I've never even heard of that movie. Contact? Yeah. I love sci-fi and it is one of my favorite um sci-fi movies just some of it gets a little cheesy with the alien nobody does alien encounters super great um but anyway um well actually i can't say that there have been a couple that i've liked but um but yeah it it gets a little kind of a little cheesy when they get into the the alien thing but i liked it i thought it was a neat movie and yeah but that example i think about that all the time when it comes to prayer and just trust him 100 percent. he's got it right and yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a ton of Abraham and Hagar 
you know, yes. where Abraham receives the <laughs> promise and then he's like, but I must also need, and I can't really blame him. You know, like I grew um, up hearing pastors being like, poor, stupid Abraham made such a boneheaded mistake. But really, like, I don't blame him. God says you're going to have a kid. Right. No kid's coming. So his thought, you know, and obviously the morality was a little bit different. This was before, you know, the law of Moses and all of that kind of stuff. Like this is in his mind. Okay. God said, I'm going to have a kid. I guess I better do it this way. Yeah. I mean, it was in alignment with worldly. Exactly. I mean, I'm not saying he did the right thing, but I think it's very understandable. you could relate. Yes, for sure. For sure. So yeah, that's a really interesting one. I wanted to talk for a minute about, um, I have a sci-fi one too. So I want to talk about Armageddon. So I know, Jamie, you've read Out of North Korea, which is one of my more recent novels, even though, gosh, it's been, it's been a year since Out of North Korea came out. Oh but um, this is a novel about an American journalist who, while visiting um, Asia, is kidnapped and held prison in North Korea and accused of being a spy. And there's this Korean character who's kind of assigned to be, basically he's the guard you know, his personal guard assigns to him, but they kind of strike up this um, sort of weird, unexpected friendship. And his friend has a bootlegged copy of Armageddon because this is kind of a normal thing in North Korea. It's not legal, but you can get on the black market American movies with subtitles and watch them. And so... Ian, the American, is watching Armageddon, and of course, he's seen it many times before. And if you haven't seen it, this is a movie about an asteroid that's coming to destroy Earth, and these men have to go and basically blow up this asteroid. And there's a very poignant scene at the end where basically one of the men is going to have to stay behind and get blown up with the asteroid. And long, complicated story. The guy who thinks that he's sacrificing himself ends up getting saved and someone else sacrifices himself. And when I was writing this scene, it was a scene that for Ian, who at this point in the book isn't a Christian. I'm giving spoilers for Armageddon and my own novel. This is bad. (laughs) No, wait. (laughs) So Ian, the American imprisoned in North Korea, is not a Christian at this point, but he's familiar with the gospel. And this is kind of an impactful scene for him, just this picture of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I put this into the book, well, one, I, so part of the book is based off the story of an American pastor, Kenneth Baye, it's spelled B-A-E, and he was actually imprisoned in North Korea for a couple of years. I think at least at the time of his release, he had been imprisoned longer than any other American who's been imprisoned in North Korea, other than um, obviously some of the prisoners of war, you know, from the 50s or, or earlier. But anyway, his book about his time in North Korea, there was this story where for some reason, like late at night on this very, uh, what's called like structured, regimented, censored is the word, this censored North Korean TV channel, which is all that he can watch, the American, like the English version of Finding Nemo came on. And he just hearing the English, seeing this poor dad, you know, like going after his son, you know, being so heroic to after son, like he was just bawling. (laughs) And so I wanted to do something like that in my book, you know, to have what movie would be memorable? Like if you were imprisoned in North Korea with no hope of escape, what would be a movie that would have that kind of impact on you? That's not Finding Nemo because I didn't want to totally copy it. So I put on Facebook, like what's a movie that's had a major spiritual impact on your life, even if it's not necessarily a Christian movie. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who mentioned that basically watching Armageddon is what led her to rededicate her life to the Lord because of that scene of sacrifice. And it really hit home for her. And I thought that was so cool. You know, it's kind of what we're talking about here all together is that even in secular entertainment, sometimes God really can speak to us. So I know that one, um, I wish I had a more specific prayer parallel. I'm trying to uh, pull something out of the air, but definitely the parallel of, you know, seeing God's sacrifice for sure. Um, again, doesn't specifically talk to our prayer lives necessarily, but I know that that was, um, it's a movie that my husband and I love to watch anyway, and it was fun writing it into that novel of mine as well. 
I loved that part of the novel. That was really neat. That added you know, it's funny. I'm I'm kind of sadistic. Like when I get to parts in my own story when I'm editing and like something bad happens to a character, I'm usually like, ooh, that was good. Readers aren't gonna see this coming. <laughs> I got a little bit choked up reading the Armageddon scene when I was editing it. Yeah. Which is um I have to kind of laugh out of all the out of all the scenes to get choked up on. It was a yeah, a guy watching Armageddon. Well, I, um, so do you want me to do my next one? Sure. Um, I think my next one is Avatar, which has also mm-hmm. been out for years and years. Um, so I don't think there are any spoiler issues here. Um, Avatar also has some, I mean, it's very um, different kind of spirituality, not Christian mm-hmm. in any way. In fact, could be... Yeah, anyway. But we already had our disclaimers, yeah. We did, we did. Okay. Um, so the the scene where so Avatar is a movie about um these Americans that go to this other planet where they're mining this very precious rock called unobtainium and they're um, is that because it's hard to obtain? I sort of think so. They were very subtle. In their naming of this metal or whatever it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> so they go and, you know, so it's like the the dichotomy, I guess, of these like hardcore military people going in to try and establish a place where they can do this mining and to obtain their unobtainium. To obtain the Got unobtainable uh, okay. unobtainium. <laughs> We're on the same page. Just wanted to make that's sure. right. And then you have this, um, you have the indigenous people of this planet, and I don't even want to go into all the the details. But basically, one of the military guys becomes part of a scientific research team where they have these avatars, these bodies that are morphs. The DNA is a morph between the indigenous people of this planet and humans and they can actually be connected up to you know like their their brain can basically be connected so that they can go unconscious in these pods and then their consciousness is transferred into these avatars, avatars. yep get it yeah they're very clever in their wait, name wait. again <laughs> so the avatar goes and becomes he's incorporated into this group of the indigenous people he learns from them he you know becomes part of their their culture and there is a scene where he goes in and um toward the end he's very conflicted because he realizes that they're not going to give up this very sacred area to allow for the mining to happen and so um he chooses to be on their side and goes to this tree in this very sacred place and it's a tree the tree of souls i think is what it's called but basically it's it's connected to their ancestors and to their quote unquote god and and so at one point he connects with this tree and basically sends a prayer he tries to communicate with their their version of god which is called aoa and says you know please help us and the girl that he's fallen in love with, who is one of the indigenous people there, says, Ewa only serves to keep the balance. She'll not interfere with, with our measly plans, basically. Like, she's not going to answer that. She's not going to interfere with our stuff. She only is concerned about the balance of the world or whatever. And so, um, in the end, spoiler alert the all all of the creatures of this world go to war against the the people that are trying to wipe out the indigenous people that are trying to protect mm-hmm. their sacred area and so and she says Aowa has heard you and she's so excited and you know this picture really reminds me of these times when we go to god and we just say you know i know that you don't always intervene you know i mean in my kids hockey game if I pray for him to win or to make a goal, that doesn't always happen. That's not always God's will. But, but there are times when, when we need help and when he, and, and I think the non-parallel is 
God is intimately involved in everything. He hears us no matter what. You know, I think the implication is she wouldn't have heard that prayer. Right. You know, it was a selfish prayer. But anyway, so sometimes God does really do huge things behind the scenes in our favor to move mountains, basically. Yeah. And then there's a contrasting scene later when one of the other scientists gets wounded and the whole group of indigenous people are kind of together praying for her to be revived and she is not, she dies and it was too late. And it's kind of that other side of the coin Mm -hmm. of, well, sometimes it can, but it doesn't mean he will. But before she died, she said, I'm with her now. Aowa is real. And so it's like she was, she ended up with the quote unquote God, you know? And so I just feel like Mm-hmm. that prayer was still answered just like yeah, our prayers sure. are always answered and even if it's not to heaven I've got another example healed. coming up with that yeah, yeah. so she That's was healed cool. she was made complete and she was joyful but not in the way that the other people were hoping but not in the way that they hoped they were still sad so that was oh, really neat. cool yeah it's interesting so yeah that is interesting so you're talking about that reminding me of two other ones I didn't even have on the list so I'll go through them super quick but did you ever see a night with the king the Esther story oh I want to see that you've mentioned that or someone's mentioned that okay. no I need to watch that so there's this scene where you know we all know the story of Esther mm-hmm. but she's walking up to the king, you know, she's approaching him. And I kind of knew that she was doing something dangerous, but I definitely didn't appreciate how much courage it took until I saw it in the scene. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as she steps in, all the guards have their weapons ready. And with each step she takes, basically you're seeing snippets of her childhood flash before her eyes. She's fully expecting and fully aware that all these guards have the right to kill her. And I think that, you know, the story of Esther is a neat picture of prayer anyway, in that none of us have the right to approach God's throne apart from Christ. Kind of like the guy with that tree you were talking about in Avatar, which I haven't seen in forever. But, um, you know, he didn't have the right to go up to this tree and presume to make his request her, just like Esther didn't have the right to go to Xerxes or out of Xerxes or, you know, whichever, whichever name you want to know. Whichever Xerxes, yeah. yeah. I think different translations even call them different ones. But, um, you know, she didn't have the right to approach him. Mm-hmm. And in our sinful state, we don't have the right to approach God either. Yet through Christ, we can. And so the other movie it reminded me of was, I forget if it's, um, Anna and the King or the King and I, do you know both of those? The story of the British woman who, oh, yeah, I love that. who teaches, is it the King of Siam maybe? Yeah. Yeah. She becomes a teacher for his kids. Um, I think it might be Anna and the King. In one of the versions, you know, obviously he's, he's very formal. He makes it a big deal. Like she can't stand taller than he does, you know, right. so he does this thing sometimes where he'll crouch. And so, you know, it's very formal. And yet there's one scene where his little girl just like runs up and jumps into his arms. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's a neat picture too. Or the, you, have you seen that photograph where JFK is at his desk in the Oval Office and his little boy is oh, hiding boy. underneath? Yes. Oh. You know, like I can't run into the Oval Office and be like, hey, Mr. President, but you know, if your dad's the president, little John John can access. (laughs) And I'm sure there are some secret meetings that, you know, little Jack or whatever his name is couldn't have gone to, but that is just a neat picture that at one point we were kind of like Esther, where in order to approach God's throne in our sinful state, we would deserve death. And yet he has made us his children. So we can really enter boldly into his throne room. I love that. That is really cool. Um, I had not thought of that. I made a note for myself because I've been wanting to watch One Night with the King for a long time. So I'm going to watch that soon. Yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think of it. Yeah, that's neat. Um, What have you got? I know I'm going to talk about Endgame soon, but we can save that um, because you have one more, right? Oh, yeah. The Matrix. So The Matrix is really – it is – there are so many spiritual parallels, but the biggest spiritual parallel that I see is this idea that there is a spiritual realm 
that is more real than what we're experiencing now. And, and I just feel like it demonstrates that so well. And, you know, basically the, the premise is that you have humans that have been taken, the world has been taken over by machines or robots and to fuel them, they need to basically hook up humans as batteries to use their bodies for generating fuel and to keep them sedentary and from waking up, they've plugged them in to this other reality. So they tried different iterations of it. Like some were too perfect and you know, whatever, but they've gotten it just right where they're, they think that they're living in this world just, and, and the, the idea is it's like, like us that as if we were just in this world and it was all just an illusion, but somewhere in reality, we're in this little cocoon being fed through tubes and being, um, you know, just hooked up to something hooked to our brain, making us see what's, what we're seeing around us and think that we're actually living real life Mm -hmm. when we're not. Mm -hmm. So the main character, Neo, um, is rescued. He wakes up in the real world and realizes that the matrix is nothing more. And the matrix is what you see around you. It's the computer generated reality that you see around you. And so I just think that the picture of that is, you know, our physical world that we live in is the equivalent of the matrix where what we see around us and what we can touch and what we can feel is a shadow of what is real real. because we think of it and I even think of it as the opposite sometimes like well this is reality Mm -hmm. the spiritual world is the other you know behind the veil you know but in reality like when we really wake up spiritually we realize and we start to realize I think incrementally that the spiritual world is the real world what we see around us is the veil Mm -hmm. and so um yeah. And, and then there are these, these agents that are kind of like demonic forces. There are these agents that are basically computer viruses that manifest in the matrix as these, you know, agents with these sunglasses and they go around and they are very powerful in the matrix. Like they can do anything and they, they look like superhumans. They can run super fast or jump super high. And it's because they've mastered, they, they've, they've been enlightened or they know from the beginning that it's just a computer program so they can get around it. Like they can glitch into doing things that normal Mm -hmm. people don't realize they can do. But with Neo, this is kind of like Captain Marvel, which we talked about briefly in the last Mm -hmm. video, um, or I'm sorry, in our last podcast, um, where he had this power that was inside him all along and he was able to harness the power. And I think that's like us is we think that we're, limited in so many ways in this world. And I think if we realize the power that we have, I mean, I, I'm afraid sometimes when I feel like I'm under spiritual attack or I feel like there's um, opposition, I can be afraid of that sometimes. But I think, you know, when we are enlightened to the fact that God is the victor, it's not mm-hmm. like there's God and Satan and they're on equal footing. God is the victor. He's mm-hmm. at the top. And so I think just like in that movie, once he harnessed that power and became aware that he had that power, just like Captain Marvel, um, you know, that he was able to unleash it. And it reminds me of um, Francis Chan. Uh, well, and it's it's when in Captain Marvel, it was kind of, and, and in Neo's case also in this movie, it was when everything was at stake that he became aware and harnessed that power and unleashed it. And, and so like Francis Chan has this story about being at a concert, a Christian concert with his daughter and they all gathered around to pray. And he remembered as they were praying, he, he was thinking, God, I just, I wish that you would just like make the ground shake, you know, like you did with the disciples, like when we're praying that we would pray and then the earth would just shake. And he said that almost like, like an audible voice kind of said back to him, Francis, you're at a Christian concert and you know, the the gospel might be going out, but it's not a situation where the gospel is at stake. Mm -hmm. And I think that might even minimize the fact that God can use anything, but, but sometimes it's those times that we try to run from those times when we are at the end of ourselves, where we are beaten down and 
everything is at stake when God's power is able to cross over through us in ways that we never imagined, you know, like, I don't know. So I just feel like it's oftentimes in our prayer lives when there's a lot at stake and, and it's, it's just, we are at the end of ourselves that we are reduced enough to let God powerfully work through us in our prayers. That's really cool. You know, it's so funny because we've been super good friends for like what, seven, eight years now. And it isn't until this exact moment that I realized how big of a sci-fi fan you are. I love sci-fi. <laughs> well, you know that I have, I've been working on a sci-fi book for many, many years, yeah. an idea that I have in my head and it's not the right time, but someday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, I keep thinking of more and more, like as we're having this conversation, I keep thinking of ones that aren't even in um, the outline. So when you were talking, I was thinking about Lord of the Rings and one of my all-time favorite fictional characters ever is Sam Gamgee, the, yes. you know, the hobbit who goes to help Frodo. And really, I mean, it's one of the best scenes in all of cinematography where they're on the mountain and Frodo isn't strong enough to keep going. Yes. And so Sam's like, well, if you can't, I can't carry the burden for you, but I can carry you. Yes. And then he like picks him up, carries him like potato sack style. Oh, um, that was and, so good. <laughs> it is, and it's a picture of prayer too, though, where sometimes people are so burdened and no, we can't take the burden away, but we can really carry them through prayer. Yes. You know, so yeah, I, I needed to fit Sam into there at some point. So any excuse for Sam, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally willing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about Endgame. Yeah. There's a lot is, there. There's, there is. So you've seen it by now, I assume. Yes. Okay. All right. So in general, what do you think of it? I thought it was great. I thought they, I didn't know how they would do it, how they would bring it all full circle. And I was, we were all trying to predict ahead of time what would happen. Uh Yeah. And and nobody got it. (laughs) Nobody got it. And I'm, I'm glad it was, it was really, I think, I think they did a great job and I know there've been mixed reviews, but personally I enjoyed it. And I thought they did a great job of wrapping things up and, you know, the ending for Captain America, I feel like was perfect. perfect Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we're totally going to talk about that. Yeah. It was, it was great. So it came out on what, like a Thursday. We had, Scott was going to take that Monday off so that we could go see the matinee, but we couldn't wait. So we've never done anything like this before. We went Sunday night only to come home, go to bed and go back Monday, you know, like 1030. Right. When you had already had tickets. Yeah. And then, um, not everybody, but so Scott and our two youngest went to this concert and my, my oldest really isn't into like crazy loud, you know, rock type stuff. So he and I went to go see it a third time. (laughs) And like I said, never done that with any other movie before, but here are some of my thoughts about how like lessons we can get specifically about prayer from Endgame. And even if you haven't seen it, we'll try to make it so that makes sense. So um, one of the things, so if Sam Gamgee from Lord of the Rings is like my favorite fictional character of all time, Cap is really, really high up there too. And so at toward the beginning of the movie, you see Cap leading this um, like a support group because basically what's happened, uh, Endgame is kind of a part two. And so in part one, in Infinity War, basically half the world gets snapped out of existence. And then five years later, they still haven't found a way to bring them back. And so Cap is leading this support group, trying to help people, you know, learn to move on after this totally catastrophic event. But then he has this conversation with Black Widow where he's like, you know, some people move on but we don't. And for me, it was just this picture of, yes, he's helping others to find healing after this terrible thing that happened. And yet he himself still isn't healed and he doesn't even have hope for healing for himself. And I see that sometimes, you know, with our our physical or psychological or emotional scars, sometimes we do really just want God to take them away. And other times we really do come to this point. I don't even want to call it resignation, but maybe just of acceptance that, you know what? Full healing might not come until heaven, but that doesn't mean that God still can't use you to help others find their healing. 
you know so i see cap is this picture of this guy yes i'm sure if we want to you know make it prayerful yes he's prayed for his own healing he hasn't found it yet and still he's being used to help others find hope and encouragement so i saw that as just a picture of kind of praying for others lifting others up even when you're still yourself in a broken state you know god's not waiting for you to get perfect to get fully restored fully healed before he uses you to inspire others does that make sense oh i love that and you know i'm reading or well, listening to this book by pam tebow tim tebow's mom called ripple effects about influence and the influence mm-hmm. that you have on others and you know she talks a lot about your own pain your own story being used for others but i think a lot of times we think well i need to make sure my story's done and you know that my healing is mm-hmm. ready i need to get myself ready but sometimes the healing comes as we serve as we reach out as we help um you know i think not to say that you shouldn't take time and and know your limitations but i just know for me there have been times where God has used me in my brokenness and called me to something or just thrown me in a position where I had to do something mm-hmm. and maybe didn't want to. And that has healed, you know, it's begun a part of the healing process. Right. So yeah, I, yeah, I never would have put that together, but I love that. That's really neat. Yeah. So I want to talk next about this whole idea of like multiple timelines because a lot of Endgame has to do with time travel and, you know, kind of like ripple effects, like if you go back in time and change just one thing, you know, it, at least in most sci-fi time travel things, like you're kind of creating an entirely different reality or, you know, um, so there's this scene where they're kind of explaining how this works. It's a scene, you know, where there's this like linear progression of time, but you move one thing and it kind of has a branch right. splitting off, basically like creating a new reality if you change one thing. and you know, we could dive into the theology of, you know, does God know all possible outcomes of every single, you know, like if I were to wear my blue shirt tomorrow instead of my red shirt, does God know exactly how the world's going to change? And yeah, I mean, God knows everything. So I'm, I'm fine saying, yeah, but right. it or also, are you bound to wear the blue shirt? You know, I mean, yeah, could I choose to wear red? <laughs> can I do a quick switch? Cause I've, you know, I mean, I find myself doing silly stuff like that where, where I just think, okay, is this a choose your own adventure situation? Right, exactly. You know, is it? Or am I inevitably going to choose the blue shirt? I don't know. Yeah. No, I definitely think that, you know, I, I feel like God is totally sovereign, but he also gives us the power to make choices. I believe that know? too. So I, you know, I, I couldn't explain succinctly how those two work together because sometimes they do sound a little bit contradictory, but you know, I, I guess that's not a, an argument I dive into a ton, but this, no, this idea of like one change creating an entirely different future, mm-hmm. I think it's really cool to think about in terms of prayer. You know, we've talked about it before. If you don't genuinely believe that your prayers can change the world and that your prayers can change history, kind of my thought is, well, what's the real point? <laughs> and I know not everyone's going to agree with that. But for me, that was a picture of, you know, how one thing, one prayer really can set someone's life on an entirely different mm-hmm. trajectory. And so for me, that was, and it was just a neat visual picture of that, you know, because it had this this line you could see right there on the screen, and then it branches off when this one change happens. So mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I totally agree with you. I really, I, I do believe that, that God is sovereign and yet way big enough to give us free will. Other, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I just, I like that. I think sometimes we think to change the world, we need to accomplish or achieve something huge right. with our prayers and we negate the, the tiny things and the tiny steps. And, and you did, you know, like the ripple effects, one yeah. tiny little pebble and mm-hmm. just what happens down the line. So no, I, I totally agree. And I think that does give us hope and it gives us um, motivation to pray and yeah. look for things that God is calling us to pray for and to follow our prayer promptings with passion and not 
you know, like, eh, what's the point? Yeah. But also to trust in God's sovereignty in the end, because I could see also getting sort of paralyzed by this, you know, like a tragedy pressure. strikes. If I had just prayed, you know, one, one more minute, or if I had thought to pray for this one person, I feel like this idea of, you know, our prayers making actual changes to reality, I feel like it makes sense to inspire us to pray for things that are to come. But the things that have already happened, you can't, I mean, and this is an ending to you, you can't change what's already happened. So I guess don't, don't get to where you're like, oh no, I failed because I didn't pray for this person and something bad happened. Um, And at that point, I think you just trust God's sovereignty and, and things like that. But going forward to be prayerful with this mentality, yeah, your, your prayers can save someone's life or change someone's life or set, you know, set something on a totally different course than where they would have gone. Well, yeah. And I think the key is to stay focused on God and just sincerely desiring to, to serve him through our prayers mm-hmm. and, and to hear him. And I just feel like that heart condition, I mean, God is big enough to be sovereign even over our mistakes and our failures and to even use those to launch things into, you know, even greater, uh, I don't know, even, even better outcomes than could have happened without the failures, not to justify the failures or the oversights, but at this moment, like where you're standing right now, it's you and God. And And if he's prompting you, if you're thinking about a child that you feel like you should have prayed for more when they were younger and Mm -hmm. he's prompting you to pray for them, well, he's prompting you to pray for that person now. Right, right. Our prayers make a difference in the future. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah, because, and I think that's why it's so important to not play the, get hung up on the details as much. The big what ifs. Right. But just God, I'm here for you. What do you have for me right this moment? And keeping that focus and then. I'm convinced that when we get to the end and look back, that we're going to have some, you know, it's just going to be amazing to see what he did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the end battle scene, which was just amazing. <laughs> so in Endgame, basically, they're at the very end battle. It's what probably like the last hour <laughs> of the movie. It's really long, but at one point, it looks like it's only Cap left. And even the shield that he has that, you know, is kind of his, his, one of his superpowers has been broken, but he's not going to give up. He's still going to go and face the army. And at this point, like it literally is an army versus Cap and Cap is already like totally beat up, totally defeated, but he's not going to step down. And so, you know, A, we can just take that that part right there of I think about the psalm where David says with with God's help I can face an army or you know that's the paraphrase I can stand against an army and that's that's really like literally what Cap is doing he is standing against an army in his mind there is nobody standing with him everybody else who's there has already fallen and but he's still gonna go and stand but the really cool thing so um he gets this you know voice in his ear and it's hey on your left which is a callback to it's you'd have to like be a marvel fan to appreciate just how amazing this scene is but basically what happens is all these portals open and all these people who had been snapped out of existence in the previous movie come back plus you know people who were left who have all assembled to fight with cap now a, it's just super, super cool. <laughs> but B, the neat thing is, you know, when Cap's on the ground, forcing himself to get back up, facing this army totally alone, he has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And what's going on behind the scenes is Dr. Strange and all these other people are orchestrating it so that this entire army can join him. And... I totally see that as prayer. We might feel that we are absolutely alone, that we're left with our last, you know, 5% of our life left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're going to, we're still going to stand. We're still going to face this enemy, but it looks hopeless. Yet we have no idea what God is working in the background, mm-hmm. which is a whole army 
of, you know, either other Christians or other heavenly beings that he is preparing to come to our rescue. So I kind of see these other people who show up who are coming to his rescue. They're, they're sort of the, the intercessors. Oh, I and love that. Through, you know, you can think of Dr. Strange. He's the one who kind of opens all these portals. Yes. You know, he's the one praying. We can use this, you know, it's a loose analogy, but he is orchestrating all of this other help to come to Cap's aid. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of see him as the intercessor making the way for, you know, the good army <laughs> to yeah. join Cap and, oh, yeah. and to get behind a bit. What I found so encouraging, like, first of all, it's just somatically such an inspiring scene anyway, and you already know that I, I really, really like Cap, but also it's just neat to think, you know, how, how alone he must have felt because he literally was alone, and yet he, he didn't realize that this entire army was, you know, basically just a, a snap away. He just had to wait for them, and so if you're feeling beaten down spiritually or hopeless in your prayers, that can just be a neat picture of, you know what, there are, like God is there. I think of the story of Daniel where he was praying really fervently and God sent an angel in response to his prayers, but that angel got caught up in this battle, which I always thought was kind of like, wow, I, I know angels aren't, um, not omni, what's the omni word, Um, omnipotent, but it still felt weird to me. Like what you mean? Like an angel can like get delayed. Get, an angel can delayed. have right. trials. Right. And so I sort of see it like that, like God, if we want to call it God or, you know, the Marvel, Marvel makers were already planning for cap salvation for this, you know, this army to come and fight with him. And he couldn't see it, but he still right. chose to, to fight this battle, even though for a little bit, he thought that he was the only one. It was such a cool scene. Oh, I love that. Can I add just a really quick other movie that kind of reinforces that? Uh-huh. I know we're getting like on all kinds of rabbit trails. No, this is super, super fun. I'm, I, I don't know about our listeners. I'm having so much fun with I this. I know. Stuff. I'm just, I'm thinking like, okay, have we lost people now? Like, I know. Are out or are they just like, this is neat. Let no, us know, let us know for sure. Yeah. We want, yeah, we could, we would love some feedback. Um, <laughs> if it's possible, we'll start an entire show, like an entire new podcast. So just, yeah. you know, Jesus in Hollywood or something. That we totally cool. could do it. I think, I think there'd be enough material. Oh, what for sure. Reminds me of is recently, and again, not endorsing this movie, but I did watch it recently. Um, Zero Dark Thirty, which is kind of the documentary, not documentary, um, like loosely based on the uh, capture and basically assassination of Osama bin Laden. Um, there is a scene where the the girl, the, the CIA agent who's in charge of looking for Osama bin Laden and this messenger that kind of has been the middleman. Um, She finds this incredible lead and she believes Osama bin Laden is living in this fortress basically. Um, And she finds it, she brings it to the attention of her superior and for all that she knows it's been, you know, at this point, it's been, I think the first time she brings it to his attention, she's like, it's been 50 days since I told you about this and nothing has happened. And she takes a big red marker, like a dry erase marker and writes 50 and then circles it on his like office window and kind of shakes her fist like there, you haven't done anything about this yet. And then, you know, 51 days and it shows her kind of in succession putting the number of days that it's been since she brought this great lead to his attention and he's done nothing. And one guy in the office, when she does it one time says, well, I guess it's her against the world. And in the meantime, you see these meetings that this man is going to, and he is getting pummeled. These people don't want to, they don't want to help him. They don't, they, he believes in her and wants to try to get things done. And these people are, fighting against him. And so he's fighting for her behind the scenes over and over again. And all she knows is nothing is happening. And so she just keeps getting angry and writing these days, you know, a hundred days and she underlines it and nothing has happened. And 
it reminded me of, of me, you know, with God, where I'm just like, God, I've been praying for a year for this and it's still nothing has happened. And in the meantime, he's been going to bat for me. He's been sending his angels. He's been orchestrating things and setting things up so that at just the right time. And, and in the end, you know, what, what she hoped for did happen and did come to pass. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of the same thing that you're talking about. Of right. Captain you don't America. know like what God's alone, doing behind the scenes. Feeling like he's only, the only one doing this. And then behind the scenes, all this other stuff is working together. So yeah. teaching us hope and patience. Yeah, very much so. So there's this other scene in the last battle of Endgame that I think is a really neat picture of prayer. So at one point, Spider-Man, who's just like this adorable teenage boy, like (laughs) he's one of my favorites because I feel so maternal for him, which makes me actually feel really old. I know, right? (laughs) I just want to like protect you and and make you not ever get hurt. Yes. (laughs) But anyway, he, he's there in this battle. And at one point he gets the gauntlet, which is what he's trying to keep away from the bad guy. And like, I think it might be a dozen of the female superheroes come and they all like surround him and protect him with it. And then they do this thing. It's so hilarious. It's like a Spider-Man hot potato. Like they pass him from one of them to the other, like to, to help get him to safety. And I, it was really, really cool just to see so many like strong and powerful women being involved in this, in this scene. Mm-hmm. But I think of it too, you know, I don't think we need to draw, you know, male versus female into it, but just this picture of these women surrounding someone and protecting him, I think it's just a neat picture of what happens when we pray for others. Mm-hmm. You know, when a group of people prays for somebody, it really is this picture of just surrounding them and coming to their aid. And I, I kind of like the fact that they were all women because I, I do feel like women have, and again, we're using generalities here, but I feel like women have, in general, this um, sense of intuition. You know, the stereotype of a prayer warrior is a little old lady, right? right. <laughs> it really is. And I think there's, there's something to that. Um, I'm certainly not saying that men can't pray or don't pray. But no matter where you line on, like, what a woman is or isn't allowed to do in church, you can definitely appreciate the fact that throughout church history, women have been upholding the, the world <laughs> through prayer. Absolutely. And so it was just a neat picture, not only of, like, some of the things we've talked about are an individual praying to help somebody, but this was a neat picture of an entire group of people surrounding somebody in this battle to protect them. Neat. I'm going to have to watch it again. I've only seen it once and there was so much to take in. Oh, there's so much. Oh, I know. I'm like, I, I don't even remember. So I, and I have to confess, I have fallen asleep during battle scenes in movies before because my brain tunes out. It's overwhelmed for me. Yeah, I don't like yeah. battle scenes. This one was different though. I did not fall asleep. It was very interesting and they follow individual characters, which keeps your attention, mm-hmm. but you know, the scene where it's just blow them up and you know, right. I tune out, but I, I'm excited to see it again to sort of revisit some of the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. No, it was for sure better the second time. Yeah. And then the third time. So for me, it was like the first time it was just, I had to see it because I was so like, I, I literally was just like dying of anxiety. <laughs> and then the second time was kind of like, okay, I know the story now. I just want to like appreciate it. And then the third time, it felt like going back to see old friends, and yeah, so I'm I'm a I'm a total Marvel geek, which I'll admit, but it, yeah, you should go back and and see it. Yeah. Um, I'll go with you. Okay. <laughs> so there's there's this other amazing part in the last battle scene. So Thor is this Asgardian <clears throat> deity prince type who has this hammer that only he is able to wield because you have to be worthy of the hammer in order to use it. And so there's this scene where Thanos, it looks like he's about to get killed. You know, like he's in a really, really, really bad shape. His hammer's been thrown somewhere else. He can't get to it. The bad guy Thanos is, you know, like he's got his ax to his chest. And then you see, I don't know how vividly you remember this scene. Like, I'm never going to forget this. For me, this is like our generation or like this generation's version of 
I am your father, you know, like just the, the plot twist that you never would have seen coming. Right. You see the hammer getting raised and then the hammer gets thrown and hits Thanos and then it comes back to Cap. And so basically it's, it's this thing of, you know what, Cap is worthy to pick up the hammer. Who would have known? Like, apparently it happened in the comics. So my son was like, well, yeah, I knew he could do it, but I had no idea. So it was amazing for me. <laughs> well, I remember, yeah, them having this. They In one of the episodes, yes. they had like a contest and, and it did. started to vibrate a it little. Budged. And Thor yes. got really nervous. You know, exactly. Because, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, but it was great. I love it. Was that. It was amazing. It was really cool. Um, it, and it was super fun to hear the audience reaction too. You yeah. know, just, <gasps> so anyway, um, Again, we can draw parallels to this kind of like what we were talking about with, with Esther. Like we are worthy yeah. to approach God's throne. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a, a ton more. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this thing because it was so amazing, but I don't have like great, you know, insight into it from the spiritual standpoint other than. But we're worthy. Absolutely. God has made us worthy to approach his throne in prayer. Even if we don't think we've got the power through Jesus, we have the power to wield this authority that he's given us in prayer. That doesn't mean we make use of it all the time. It does, you know, we might not even know how to wield the power, but sort of like what we, you know, a trope in a ton of movies is you've got the power to do this and you've had it all along. You just need to recognize your power, you know, going back to Dorothy and the red, the red shoes. (laughs) Bringing it full circle. Exactly. But anyway, that was like, that was the neatest experience I've ever had in a movie theater was seeing that hammer fly back to Cap. And now I want to talk about Cap's ending because you already mentioned how, how happy you were. So yeah, going into it, we kind of knew that both Cap and Iron Man were sort of done for the Marvel movies. Um, and so there was all this conjecture, like, are they, are they both going to die? Is one of them going to die? What's going to happen? Um, and so this is like major, major spoilers, but Cap gets this just amazing happy ever after, Mm -hmm. which is so sweet. Like the the first thing I did when I woke up the next morning after the first time I saw it, like my first thought was I opened my eyes and I said, Cap gets a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, and you know, they, they make it a whole point to, to say like the time travel in this movie is totally different than what you think about as time travel in any other movie. But basically through somehow that nobody really understands, Cap is able to go back in time and marry the woman that he fell in love with in the first cat movie who, you know, so like back in the forties or fifties, he's able to go back, live out his life, have his happily ever after. And in addition to just being so, so sweet and bringing everything completely full circle. I saw this as, I forget which movie we were talking about, but we were talking a little bit ago about how some prayers don't get answered until heaven. Right. Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. I see this as something like that. Like, Nobody could have expected, like if you were to have given Cap a happy ending, basically it would have been like the most anybody who's not a Marvel writer could have thought of was, well, maybe he falls in love with somebody else and and lives a happy life. Mm -hmm. Nobody would have even thought that it would be possible for him to go back and basically like fulfill his promise to this woman. So in the first Cap movie, he sacrifices himself to save the world. And he tells the woman that he loves, you know, I'm going to have to dance with you later. And so they make this plan to go dancing, but they both know that Cap's about to die and isn't going to be able to make this date. And then the next time he sees her, you know, she's old and that's a super sad touching scene. But anyway, he's able to go back. The very last scene of the whole movie shows the two of them able to share their dance finally. And again, I think of this as, like some prayers, God doesn't answer the way we would think. You know, if, if God were to answer Cap's prayer that he and Peggy could have their dance and be together, he would have thought that he wouldn't have had to sacrifice himself. He wouldn't have gotten into that crash and, and died, or, you know, at least he thought he was going to die. And then they could have had their dance. Who would have thought that, no, he wasn't. He was going to sacrifice himself, wake up like 70 years later, do all these things to save the world. And still be able to, at the end, go back in time, go to Peggy, have his dance with her, marry her, have this happy ever after. So I think it's another example of, yes, I, I get this picture. And I, I really don't think that this is like true theology. This is just kind of a picture I have that like in heaven, there's this um, 
this room of all the prayers that we've prayed that weren't ever answered on earth. And that somehow once we get there, all these prayers that we thought were just God ignoring us or God choosing something different from us, that somehow once we get to heaven, our prayers truly are like a hundred percent answered. And like I said, I have no idea how that's going to work, <laughs> especially like, you know, what if Jamie prays that it's going to rain on Wednesday and I pray that it's not going to rain on Wednesday. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, to me, there, there is a, like some prayers probably like, it feels like they should cancel each other out. But like with Kep, it feels like it should cancel himself out. Either he had to sacrifice himself and die in the first movie, or he could go and be with Peggy, but you know, doom the world. <laughs> Right. But somehow through the art of Marvel magic, he was able to do both. And so I just kind of feel like somehow with these prayers or these dreams that we've had that don't feel like they've been answered and maybe never will, who knows what plot twists might be waiting once we get to heaven. Or even before that, you know, True. kind of, or, or even before that. I mean, I, I really, yeah, I, I that's think a that's point. a really neat, um, but yeah, that, that's a really neat way to look at it. It was such a happy scene too. It was so sweet. The second time we saw it, um, I caught something that I hadn't ever, well, that I didn't notice the first time. And that's that her, her front door in the scene where they're dancing is open. And so my thought, like the first time I saw, I just thought that it was a snippet of their married life. But then the second time I saw it, I'm like, wow, the front door's open. I, I picture him just showing up on her doorstep for the very first time. You're like, Hey, here I am. I've come for my dance. And she's just so happy and excited that she forgets to yeah, shut that she the door. forgot to shut the door mm-hmm. yep so that's neat. happy happy stuff um that's all i've got for movies and end game yeah that's all i've got for any of them so that was fun for us that was, <laughs> it was fun for you i know i'm really i'm hoping i'm hoping and hoping that it was fun for for you as well <laughs> we truly but would I'm love happy. feedback if you're listening because like we we really like i have no idea what kind of movies our listeners watch or like or yeah, you know if, if you guys watch movies at all or if this was silly or if this was super cool or maybe you've got your own scenes for movies that have had an impact on you that you want to share it would be really cool to get some feedback because this is a little different than our typical episode mm-hmm. so I guess we can start wrapping things up um I wanted to remind you that we have a Patreon page so that you can help support the show and you'll get lots of added resources, um, extra podcast episodes, all kinds of things. And you can see what's there and sign up to support the show at prayingchristianwomen.com slash partner. And that just helps us to keep doing what we're doing, which we really do appreciate. And now let's end with our blessing and benediction. Oh, no, I just clicked off. Here we go. All right. May God's peace rest on you so that your heart will not be troubled and you will not be afraid. May the peace of Christ that transcends knowledge and understanding guard you, fill you, protect you, and surround you. May your spirit be steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And may the Lord of peace himself quiet your spirit, regardless of whatever struggles, trials, or storms are confronting you today. And our benediction comes from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.